0: In this teaching, we're going to talk about being great and being first. What would Jesus say about such ambition and aspiration? What would Jesus do? Let's unpack Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 28 together. Get ready to take down all the plus points. But you really don't want to miss the minus points. Hi, this is Hanson from Archipas Awakening, a ministry that is dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. This is what Kingdom 101 is all about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus, our King, to embrace His kingdom that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, speak to us once more. Lord Jesus, we want to hear your words because you are our King. And Holy Spirit, give us understanding. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. I'm going to show you and read you some word pairs. Now, which of the two words appeal to you? First, last. Win, lose. Strong, weak. High, low. More, less. PLUS, MINUS. Most likely you preferred the words FIRST, WIN, STRONG, HIGH, MORE, and PLUS. Not surprising. Notice that many church camp and conference themes are crafted around these words. We ALL want the MORE, the add-ons, the PLUS points, not the MINUS points. This is very natural, and there is nothing wrong with that. The issue is the means by which we seek to attain these. In Matthew chapters 18, 19, and 20, we see that the disciples struggled with this too. The conversations revolved around being great and being first. Let me say this again. It is perfectly fine to seek kingdom significance. Jesus never told them not to aspire to greatness or that being first is bad. Instead, He showed them the right way to achieve these. Not by the ways of the world, but by the kingdom way of humility. Now this is not quite as easily understood or accepted. After all, humility was not exactly a plus point. It was not considered a virtue, but a weakness, a minus point. But how does one get a plus with a minus? By now, you should not be surprised to learn that our passage, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 28, will present yet another upside down kingdom teaching. Our passage can be simply divided into three broad sections. Firstly, there's a prediction of Jesus' death and resurrection, and then the request of James and John and Jesus' reply after that, and finally, the way. Kingdom greatness. Let's begin. Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19, is about the third prediction of Jesus' death and resurrection. Let's read this together. Now, Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn Him to death, and deliver Him to the Gentiles, to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day, He will rise again. Let's begin with some observations. This is the third prediction, which means there was a first and as well as a second. Now let's notice that there's a progression. The first was made in Caesarea Philippi, and then the second, as they move around in Galilee, And finally, they are presently in Perea, moving towards Jerusalem. Can you see that there is a moving towards that time of confrontation and intensification and things are going to get a lot more exciting as well as serious. The religious leaders would take Jesus to account, challenging him. And finally, this will lead to his betrayal into their hand. And Jesus says that the Son of Man will die and rise on the third day. Now, all three predictions generally, they speak about the same thing. And the third prediction also, but with more details. We are now told that Jesus will be handed over to the Gentiles and there will be a mocking as well as a scourging. Now, his death will be administered by the Romans, simply that the Jews couldn't put anyone to death. And how will he die? The execution will be by crucifixion, the worst way to die. This third prediction gives the details where the first and second uh, did not provide these. But what is interesting is for us to note the different responses after each prediction. At the first prediction, Peter listens to this with the disciples and he rebukes Jesus because he rejects the notion of his king and his master dying. Now at the second prediction, no one dares to say anything, but the disciples were recorded to be very, very sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful, very sad at the prospect of their master and their king being killed and now we know that he will be crucified. But look at this third response. Uh, James and John, suddenly now, in the next section that we will see, they request for top positions in the kingdom. Now, why the switch? Why this sudden change of theme and focus? Let's explore. Let's move on to the second section, and we'll begin by reading the first two verses 20 and 21. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, that's James and John, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. Can you get this? I mean, how insensitive, right, of James and John, mother also. Jesus just told them about His death, His betrayal, His scourging, His suffering, and you ask for top positions. Well, I think we can understand it a little bit better when we see that this third prediction came after Jesus' answer and reply to Peter's question. If you remember, Peter asked, what's in it for us, right? We who have given off and given up everything to follow you. Jesus said that in the regeneration, he will be on his throne, and those, the disciples who have followed him, will sit on twelve thrones. Wow! Wow! So can you look at this? Whilst the others focused on Jesus' death, James and John zoomed in on Jesus' resurrection. Now think, the regeneration. They took it to mean that Jesus would be on His throne and they will be on theirs. Twelve thrones. But why be just satisfied with thrones? Why not just go for the highest honor, right? Thrones plus. But after all the teachings of Jesus, I guess it would be just a little bit too proud and presumptuous for them to ask. Must be humble. I know. Send mom. (laughs) So typical, right? We don't want to settle our own stuff. We ask a mom to say a few nice words for us. Smart move. After all, Peter already got called Satan and perhaps that's why the disciples all didn't want to say anything after the second prediction. But now, with the announcement that there will be glory and thrones in every generation, this is a good time. And so, mom, can you please help us? Perhaps Jesus would be kinder and gentler with a mother's request. Now in Matthew, it's recorded that Salome, that's the mother, uh, was the one who asked this. But Jesus knew it was James and John who put the mother up to the task. How do we understand this? You see, Mark in chapter 10 and verses 35 to 37 records that it was James and John. They were the ones who asked for this request and for these high positions. And in Matthew chapter 20 verse 22, Jesus then answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, in that one phrase, we see you do not know what you ask. And if you get into the original text, you will find that this you is a second person. That means Jesus was not answering the mother. He was answering and directed at James and John. And these were plural pronouns. In other words, you all or you two. <laughs> you do not know what you ask. And he goes on Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink? Now, what is this cup? In the Old Testament, it's a very common metaphor for suffering and it referred often to God's fury as well as His wrath. And you can find Old Testament passages like Psalm 75 verse 8, Isaiah 51 verses 17 to 18, or Jeremiah chapter 25 in that whole passage of 15 to 28, always talking about suffering. Are you able to drink this cup that I'm able to drink? Are you able to suffer? Are you able to even be baptized with this baptism? And we know that the word baptism just simply means to be immersed. Will you be able to take the immersion into the difficulties and the suffering? But let's take note that in the book of Matthew, in this letter, Uh, this is not in the text. It was added on, and I suppose it was uh, extended from the passage that was recorded in Mark chapter 10, verses 38 to 39. But no issue with that, because it's talking about the same thing, about the suffering. James and John, do you know what you are asking? I don't think you fully understand this. I don't think you fully embrace this idea. James and John, you know, when you ask for significance, you must be prepared for suffering. And this is because suffering and significance or glory, they go hand in hand. Significance in the kingdom comes with suffering for the kingdom. Listen to this. You crave the significance. Can you brave the suffering? This is because the kingdom pathway to glory, to significance, is suffering. Let me share a few verses with you. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, we are children and we are heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Everyone will say amen to that. But go on. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. What are we supposed to endure? Obviously, it always speaks about sufferings and challenges and the trials that will come our way for the sake of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Once again, we see if we are reproached, if we suffer for the sake of Jesus, there's a blessing that is upon it. For the spirit of glory, kingdom significance will be resting upon us. Perhaps John and James did not fully understand or embrace this principle of the kingdom of suffering as well as significance. And almost quickly and immediately they replied, We are able. Wow, so noble. But I think they didn't understand what they were really saying. Now, what else did they not know or what else did they presume? I believe they thought that the kingdom and the regeneration would happen immediately after Jesus is raised from the dead we must give them credit, right? While the rest focused on Jesus' death, James and John didn't miss that last line that Jesus will be raised on the third day, the regeneration, the kingdom. In Luke chapter 19, verse 11, we're told that as they approached Jerusalem, the disciples thought that the kingdom would appear immediately. And so, what's all this talk about suffering? I mean, the moment Jesus would be raised from the dead, they will be on their thrones and everything will be okay. Matthew chapter 20 verse 23, Jesus then explains this to them. You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. What else did they not know? Jesus said, you will drink from my cup. Now, let's not misunderstand this, the thing that we can drink anything that Jesus would have gone through. This is not His cross. But His cup would then be a suffering for the sake of Jesus and the things of His kingdom. James and John, you don't know what you're asking, but I'll tell this to you, Jesus said to them, you will indeed suffer for the sake of the kingdom. And this is true. James became the first apostle to be martyred. Later on, John himself was exiled to Patmos for preaching the Gospel. Now, Does that mean that he did not suffer anything? No. Before that, tradition records that he was thrown into a pot of boiling oil, but miraculously he survived. And so they suffered for the sake of the things of the kingdom. But they wouldn't have known all these things. Jesus was teaching them as they aspired to greatness and to being first in the kingdom. But the Lord continues to submit to His Father by saying, But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Jesus, although He was the Son of God, He knew that He was also a servant of God, and in that, He submitted to His Father. So He says, you can request all you want. But in the end, my Father will have the final say. As servants, this is what we do. We just do what is right and expect it. And we just trust God to give what is right and unexpected. The first section was about the prediction of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then the second section, the request of James and John, as well as the reply of Jesus. But the Lord goes on because there's a lesson that He wants to share with His disciples. And the third section is about the way to kingdom greatness. Let's read Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 to 27 first. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The disciples heard the request of James and John and they were greatly displeased. In another translation, actually means indignant. They were upset oh, angry. Why? Because they all wanted the same thing. Just that some were more vocal and a little bit more thick-skinned. But this was really a kingdom-teaching moment. Jesus wanted them to know, it's really okay to aspire to be great and to be first. Just don't do it in the ways of the world. And this is why he calls them together and shares with them. Now, this is what greatness looks like amongst the Gentiles in the world. Their leaders would lord over the people. Another way, they dominate, they domineer. They would exercise authority. Now, that sounds right, but... It actually means to rule and to reign over these people. Literally, they acted as if they were gods and kings. And they would step on people. They would use these people under them, control them, manipulate them, just so that they can remain on top of the chain. Now, these traits in the world of the Gentiles, they are considered plus points. Great. Strong. First. Having more. Plus plus and more plus. But the Lord said to them, yet it shall not be so among you. Now let me emphasize once more, Jesus wasn't saying that ambition is not good, to be great or to first, to be first is not good, that desire. He's not saying that. He's just saying this is not the way to become great and to become first. If you do it the way of the world, that's a misalignment. Kingdom people must do it in kingdom ways. That's an alignment check. So if you want to be great amongst you, be a servant to everyone. You want to be first amongst all of you? Well, then be a slave to all. Now this would have blown their minds. What, what plus point? These sounds like minus points to us. Look at that two words, among you. You know, many times we would say, I want to serve Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you would like to serve me, you've got to serve the people. You have to serve amongst the people. So if you claim to be my disciples and my servants, serve my people. And this is the reason for him bringing these two words up, servants and slaves. Now, I've been sharing more than once that there are many many references and parables that speak about servants, workers as well as slaves. Let's understand these two words. Now, there are very many different levels of servants as well as slaves. Now, These can range from officials who are hired to be in office, and in that they do have position and they have recognition. Or you can go all the way down to the other extreme, where slaves, right down at the bottom, they are traded as property, and these would have no rights, no position at all. Now in the Greek, we use these two words, and you will find them very common in the New Testament. diakonos, which means servant, and doulos, which is slave. Now, we can unpack this a lot more, but for this teaching, I want to bring your attention to another word that translates to servant, and that is from a Latin where we get our English word, minister. So, a minister is also a slave and can also be a servant. Now, where do we get this word minister from? Go back to the root, and you will find that it is derived from a Latin word that is M-I-N-U-S. M-I-N-U-S. Minus. And it means a subordinate or someone that is small or something that is less. Now, we don't pronounce this as minus in English, but we understand this more as a mathematical symbol that means to subtract, to take away or to remove. But you see, from the word minus, we get the word minister, or can I just stretch this a little bit, minister, because a servant is one who is less, one who is the lesser as well as the lower, if not the least or the lowest. The servant is always expected to serve, to give, and to give, and he's always giving off more and more of himself, which means he's having less and less of himself, and that things are even taken away from this minister or this minister-servant. Today in the church, we are so used to this word called ministry. It just means service. Why? Because a servant serves, and a servant provides a service. Maybe for us to understand ministry a little bit better, we should also pronounce it as ministry, ministry, right? Something that means to be less and to be the lesser and even to be the least. Unfortunately, the word minister these days, you know, whether in a government understanding or religious settings, it brings a totally different connotation or an impression. Ministers seem to get all the perks and the pluses. I mean, who wants to talk about the minuses? Some have even achieved celebrity and superstar statuses, another plus. And in fact, this understanding affects the way now we serve in the church or in the things of the kingdom. We tend to see a pyramid or a hierarchical structure where those who are important are up there on the top, where ministers are supposed to be somewhere as the least or the lesser ones right at the bottom. Again, sadly, this has led to some abuse where ministers or ministry have become about power, about control, about domination, manipulation. Uh, for the minister's own pluses at the expense of other people. Ministry, ministry, our service to the Lord as servants. As we serve one another as servants and slaves, this will always involve the giving away, even a taking away, a lessening of sorts, a ministry, a ministry, and these are all minus points. Now, Jesus doesn't just give a teaching and leave it just theoretical or uh, academic. He shows the way. Jesus, the king of the kingdom, sets the example. And so he concludes this whole passage in verse 28. Just as, that's the example, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Can you see that this last verse points back and refers back to the very first section in verses 17, 18, and 19? This gives meaning to his prediction of his suffering as well as his death. Now, we can understand that the disciples at that moment may not have fully grasped the the fullness of this meaning, right, until they would finally witness and experience this event. But let's unpack this a little bit. The Lord says, the Son of Man, now this is a messianic title. He's the King of Kings, the one that would come to deliver Israel, to save, to bring salvation. But the Son of Man comes as a servant, a diaconess, a doulos, a minister of the Lord. And what does this servant do? He suffers. Now does it bring you back to the suffering songs of the suffering servant in Isaiah? Where he's betrayed, he's mocked, he's scourged, he is then crucified. The son of man as a servant who suffers becomes the sacrifice. He gives up his life. That's a minus point, is it not, right? He gives it up as a sacrifice because there has to be a price that must be paid. And the sacrifice is not for himself. It's for many as a ransom, and see the word substitute there. He gives up his life as a ransom. Now, this ransom is a price that must be paid to buy a slave's freedom. This is an exchange, and he gives his life. He minuses his life so that the slave can have freedom plus or added to him. And this is given for many, and the word for can be translated instead of, or in place of, as a substitute. Look at it again. The son of man that comes as a servant who suffers as a sacrifice to be a substitute that he will bring salvation. As far as worldly thinking goes, oh man, this is mega messianic minus. (laughs) But in kingdom terms, the minuses all become pluses. And through these minus points come the plus of salvation. But our Lord, the Son of Man, the Messiah, demonstrates so clearly that His service comes with suffering that brings significance. And here's the big idea when we speak about minus points and plus points. What we give up adds up. What you and I give up for the sake of the kingdom adds up in the kingdom. What we give up adds up. Our minus points will become plus points. Our minus points will become plus points? I know, sometimes it's a bit hard to understand these upside down things, is it not? So allow me to serve you with some minus points and some plus points for better understanding. Let's begin with Jesus once more. See, Jesus' minus becomes our plus. We've already seen that Jesus died so that we may live. His sacrifice and His substitute became for us a plus of salvation. The minus of Jesus being cursed is so that we may become blessed, Plus. Jesus became poor, his minus, that we may become rich, plus. Jesus became empty, that we, his church, may become full and experience the fullness of all that he has for us. Jesus' minus, our plus. Our minus comes from our plus. Too many are serving out of empty. And in religiosity or with forms of godliness, we just serve because we are told that we are to serve. But without understanding the plus that Jesus has given to you, what can you give from or give out of? We need to give out of our fullness. Our minuses come from the plus of all that we have. We cannot give out of empty. We need to give out of what we have, not out of what we don't have. And for this, we need to know who we are, whose we are, and what we have as servants and our bondservants, servants, slaves of Jesus Christ. And then we can be stewards, servants, slaves, who are fully convinced that we have every resource and every provision, not just for ourselves, but to share with others. Jesus' minus became our plus, and out of our plus, we can then give that minus, that we can subtract from all that we have, and still live with the fullness that He has given to us. Our minus will then become someone's plus. And this is about sowing and investing into lives for the sake of the kingdom. You know, there's a phrase that I picked out from Ephesians as well as Colossians, to me, for you. What God has given to us through Jesus Christ, the pluses that come to us, it is for someone else. The plus that is given to me, I minus from this plus, but it will become someone's plus. I need to be a good servant, a good slave to steward the time that I have been given to steward the talents that the Lord has graced me with, to steward the treasures, the finances, the provision that I have so abundantly received, and to use all these wisely. So when I want to serve someone, I mustn't always think about that, oh dear, I'm losing things. It's a minus for me. It's being subtracted for me. No, in a kingdom economy, My minus will one day become someone's plus. What I give up will benefit someone. And this means to bring kingdom impact and to bring kingdom influence. Our minus will become someone else's plus, plus, and plus. The next thing we learn is that everyone's minus will lead to everyone's plus. Think about this. If only a small little group serves and minuses. Then the result really is a consumer church. But we're not meant to be consumers. We're all meant to be contributors. And that is why if everyone serves and gives and minuses, it will lead to a big huge plus 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 and more plus. (laughs) We should outdo one another in service and in sacrifice. Because everybody's minus, everybody's service will lead to everyone's plus together in the body of Christ, in the things of the kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16, it's so clear that by the working which every part does its share, every part, and when we want to serve and we do our part, we are minusing, it causes growth, the plus, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Listen to this. If everyone has a minus, and we keep minusing and minusing, then everyone in the body of Christ will keep plussing, plussing, and plussing. It will bring growth, it will bring maturity to the perfection of the knowledge of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Finally, our minus will then add up to our plus. And I'm talking about the kingdom ledger. Because we are wondering, right? If we keep minusing and someone else gets a plus, then where's our plus? Jesus said that the last will be first. In other words, the minus will become the plus. And if you want to be great, if you want to be first, if you want the pluses of the kingdom, then be the least and the last. Be the servant. Be the slave. Be the minus. Be the minister. And that is what Matthew chapters 18, 19, 20 have been all about. It is summarized in this one statement. If we still don't get this, what we give up adds up. What we leave for Jesus, we will receive from Jesus. Our suffering may entail a loss, Our suffering may entail a taking away, a giving up, but it would result in significance with Jesus. Service can bring suffering or loss for Jesus, but it will end up with significance with Jesus. All we're doing is doing our very best. And as we are divesting, investing into others, we are minusing, but there's a plusing. We are minusing, but there's an adding up to heavenly treasures. And so if you are concerned about the pluses, just focus on the minuses, because what we give up adds up in the things of the kingdom. So look at these minus points and see how it adds up to all the plus points. (laughs) The kingdom way, it's always upside down. As much as we crave for the plus points, the Lord teaches us the correct way. Look at the minus points. Leave the plus points for Him to add on and even to multiply. With all that we've been talking about ministry, of service, of slaves, servants, and ministers. Let me close with the key verse of Occupus awakening, Colossians chapter 4 verse 17. And say to Occupus, take heed to the ministry that you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I want to encourage those of us who identify with this character called Occupus that we want to be awakened, aligned and assigned. How would we apply the principles that we have gleaned uh, from this teaching in Matthew chapter 20? Let's understand this first thing, that we are adopted as sons and daughters. By the spirit of adoption, we are sons and daughters. But let us not forget that by the payment of the ransom price, we have been acquired to be servants, slaves, and ministers. So as much as we bask in the plus of the adoption, let us remember that the acquisition that we've become servants and slaves and ministers requires us to give out that minus. We minus, but we come from the plus that we are as people and children of God. As Archippuses, we understand also the agenda of the kingdom, because for servants and slaves, we are no longer serving our own agenda. We've received the fullness of that, out of which we give that minus. But first and foremost, we serve Jesus and his kingdom. This is our preoccupation. This is our agenda. Once we are clear about this, the assignments flow out of that. And the ministries which we have all received in the Lord, well, these are essentially all kingdom assignments. And when we say we serve Jesus and his kingdom, we are here to serve one another and to serve others with love through faith. And that's why the Lord says through Paul, take heed to this ministry, this ministry, this servanthood thing that we are supposed to embrace. That's what kingdom assignments are. It's for others and it's always to add to others. Next, I want to talk about the attitude of servants. The heart of a servant is more important than just the acts of a servant. How we serve matters more than just what we do. Oftentimes, it's easy to say, ah, I have to do this because God says so, you know, the church says so, my pastor says so, but we don't serve with the heart of servants. And this is so critical. What's in the heart of a servant? Number one is trust. We've got to believe the Lord. We have to trust Him for everything. However good, however not so good, whether we see the pluses or we only see the minuses, we trust Him. The heart of a servant is humble. We're never bringing attention to ourselves because in humility, the servant submits. Lord, everything you say, Lord, we rely on you, Lord. We obey you, Lord Jesus. And even in a time of suffering, of minuses, of challenges, we persevere and we endure. There's a phrase in the Old Testament that says, serve with joy and with gladness, not with complaining and grumbling. Even the New Testament reminds us of that. That's the attitude of servants. And that, I think, changes everything. That is the key. If we want to serve well, we must serve with this attitude of servants so that we can do correctly and we can do well. As servants, we rely on the anointing. Now remember, the Son of Man came to serve us through His death, His sacrifice, His substitute. But does Jesus serve us still? Can I say yes, but I put an inverted commas to that. Jesus today serves us by enabling us to serve well. Our King continues to serve us As we serve Him. And He has given us every resource, and most beautifully, His Holy Spirit, the gifts that we have, but also that we may be transformed and grow the pluses of the fruit of the Spirit so that we can serve even better. And finally, let's talk about ambition and aspiration. Is it wrong? I hope by now you know that there's nothing wrong with kingdom ambition. Do your best for the Lord. Desire the best for God's glory. But as servants, seek to please Jesus, our King and our Master. Seek to be promoted. Nothing wrong with that because servants are promoted. If you are faithful in a little, God will promote you to be faithful over much. Just do it in the ways of the kingdom and not in the ways of the world. And finally, acknowledgement leave the approval and the rewards to God. Just seek to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so my dear archivists, my dear fellow brothers and sisters, fellow servants, fellow slaves, fellow ministers, if you want to be great and to be first, do it the kingdom way. If you want the plus points of the kingdom, learn to embrace the minus points of being a servant, by being a slave, as well as a minister, a minister to all, because what we give up adds up. What we give up for the kingdom adds up in the kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word always upside down, not always easy to understand or accept because we are so wired by the things and the ways of this world. But Lord, teach us, Lord, to give up the ways of the world because we want to be added up, the pluses, you know, the things of the kingdom by being a minus, a minus, a servant, a slave, because we know what we give up adds up to the things and in the things of the kingdom. Enable us, O Lord, because you showed the way. We want to learn from you. As you gave, we want to give. As you serve, help us to serve too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website kingdom101.archipisawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.